Bibles and turn to Luke. Luke chapter 24, we're almost at the finish line this Sunday and next Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to consider the, the greatest tutorial uh, in, uh, in history. A lot, of you, uh, a lot of you know my wife, Cindy, and some of you know her well, and some of you just kind of know her in passing, and some of you haven't had the opportunity to meet her, but Cindy has this reputation of being a delightful person. Uh, that was a label that she received uh, back when we were at the Church Planting Assessment Center in 1995, uh, where the counselor who met with us at the end of it, we were trying to get qualified to be a church planter, and the church planter guys, the critique guy said, Tom, you're, you know, you got a lot of gifts, but you need some serious counsel, but Cindy's delightful. And, and that, that title just kind of stuck with her as being a delightful person. But there's another side of Cindy that some of you may not uh, have, have had the opportunity to see. So I'm going to tell you a story about Cindy, which kind of tells you a little bit, gives you a little insight into her, uh, her character and a bit of her mischievousness. We went to a small school down in Tennessee called Covenant College. When we were there, it was about 550 students, small uh, NAI school. Cindy went on a volleyball scholarship. I went and played soccer. We had met in high school, but we dated off and on during college. When Cindy was, I think, a sophomore, she and a roommate of hers got a hold of a piece of stationery from the registrar of the college, okay? So at a small school, that's not that tough to do. And they took this piece of stationery, and they wrote on this piece of stationery, I need to meet with you in my office this Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And they made 200 copies of that note. Then they talked the campus security guard into letting them into the mailroom of the school, and they just arbitrarily put these 200 letters in a variety of different students' boxes. So the next morning, these 200 college students are getting a message from the registrar, we need to talk about your classes, meet me in my office at, at 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. And then Cindy and her friends sat in the stairwell next to the registrar's office on Tuesday afternoon and watched the games unfold as 200 students showed up at the same time for an appointment with a registrar who had absolutely no idea what was going on. She's never confessed that to anybody to this day, so I'm confessing it for her, for you all publicly. Now, that registrar has since passed away. Fortunately, he'll, he'll never know about it until Cindy gets to heaven and fesses up. But the, the whole joy for her was kind of just to be able to sit there and listen to the, to the conversations going on. You know, kind of that idea, I just want to be a fly on the wall and, and listen to this. And they, they sat there and took, took great humor uh, at these folks who were befuddled uh, in this crowd. Have you ever had that experience where you said, you know, I, I'd like to, not that mischievous where you would set it up, where you said, you know, I'd really like to be a fly on a wall. I'd really like to hear that conversation. In this passage in Luke, which we're going to read in just a second, this is a, what we call a post-resurrection narrative. Uh, it's a historical documentation of something that happened in Jesus's ministry after the resurrection. And if you asked me, of all of, the, of all the things that happened in Luke, of all the places, if I could pick one place to be at one moment, something that happened in Jesus' experience, what would be happening, it would be this. It would be this conversation that Jesus has with these two guys that are absolutely clueless about what's going on. And they're brokenhearted and they're despondent and they, and they think that they've lost. And they think that they've lost big time. And in, the, and in the middle of this conversation, in the middle of this conversation that they're having, Jesus steps in, these two obscure guys, and he reveals the truth to them. I think it's one of the most remarkable passages in all of Luke's gospel. And I want to read it for you this morning in its entirety, which is, which is about 16, 17 verses. So it's going to take us a minute to read through it. And then I just have two observations I want to, I want to offer to you. But let's be a fly on the wall, so to speak, on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 
uh, through 31. Hear the word of God. That very day, that being the day that Jesus rose from the dead, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near, excuse me, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, are you only a visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for this it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that this morning you will allow us to be the fly on the wall listening in on this conversation. Uh, not for a mischievous purpose, but for purpose of redemption, purpose of, of instruction, of learning, purpose of applying your word to our lives. Father, that's what all of us need this morning, whether we've been a disciple for years and years or whether it's our, our first foray into spiritual questions of our lives. We need the truth to impact us. Lord Jesus, the, the whole world today says there, there is no truth. It's relative. You're, you make truth your own. That simply is a lie. It's simply inaccurate. It, it's an impossibility. Truth by definition can't be truth if it's varied, contradictory. So we need to hear your eternal truth. We don't need the words of man. We hear the words of man all the time, and, and ultimately that gets us nowhere. So, Father, what I have to say this morning doesn't matter. It's only your word that can change hearts and lives, that has the power to move mountains. You're the one who's mighty to save. Father, lots of us have mountains in our lives this morning. We have mountains of unbelief. We have mountains of fear. We have mountains of anxiety. We have mountains of questions that have gone unanswered maybe for years. So, Father, you need to move those mountains in our hearts where they will stay firmly fixed and continue to fill us with anxiety and fear and doubt. 
So, Lord Jesus, we pray that as uh, you lifted the veil from the eyes of these two disciples, that you would do that for us this morning. In your grace and in your mercy, you would come, you would be our teacher. Father, forgive me my sins. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think we're going to see some insights into the heart of Jesus this morning in, in just a couple of different ways. Um, Jesus d- demonstrates for us in this passage, I think, two very important and two very practical aspects of what it means to live a life of faith. This is, again, post-resurrection. This is, this is the risen Savior and the risen Lord. And he finds two strangers who are walking from point A to point B, seven-mile walk, so figure maybe if they're slow, maybe three-hour journey at the, at the very most, more than likely a little bit less than that. Uh, and, and we don't even know these guys. The only name that's given is Clopas. We'll never hear of him again. I mean, I guess if you had a name like Clopas, that, that would be okay. And they don't even say what the other guy's name is. Uh, you would think that after Jesus rose from the grave, he, you know, he'd go find the big shots. He'd go find the real important people. You know, he, he'd go find uh, Saul and tell him, hey, I'm going to make you Paul, and you're going you're to change the world for me, and go back to Peter right away and get all that straightened out. And, and he does some of those things later on, but he finds these two really obscure guys that are just walking down the street talking about their disappointment talking about their heartache. And I think the two character traits that we see in Jesus that I, that I want to talk about this morning is the compassion of Jesus and the truth that Jesus shares. His compassion and heart and his, and his heart to be a teacher, so to speak, which is kind of appropriate since we're talking about teaching our kids this morning. But let me begin with the compassion of Jesus. Look at verses 15 uh, through 17. We're going to put them up on the, on the screen for you. It says this, while they were talking, while these guys were going along, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. These two guys, as I said, were devastated. They were confused. Uh, they, they were brokenhearted. This is the late afternoon towards the evening of Resurrection Day. And as you heard me read, um, they tell Jesus the story, pretty much as Luke had described it earlier in, chapters, uh, earlier in the chapter of 24. They say, you know, uh, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was this great prophet, and, and yet he died died on a cross, and, and strangely enough, these women went to the tomb, and, and, and they were looking for him, and they didn't find him, and, and now we think that he's alive, but we just don't know, and you can just kind of hear the, the angst in their voice as you read these words on the page. You can just hear uh, the empty hearts that they have. They don't even want to try and, and really hope, you know, as they come to the end of their, their story, they say, you know, these gals went to the, went to the tomb, um, and told us that there wasn't anybody there. And it's almost like they'd like to believe it. They're just not going to let themselves be disappointed again. And in fact, the way Luke describes it is they stood still looking sad. Now think about this for a minute. They're walking from point A to point B. It's the common method of transportation. And a lot of us uh, take walks for exercise or we walk with our spouse. Cindy and I like to take walks and, and we talk as we walk. And most of the time in that situation, you don't stop and look at each other and, and continue the conversation standing still. You typically are walking and you kind of glance at each other every once in a while. But these guys literally stopped in their tracks. Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? What, what's all this conversation that you're having? And that literally stopped them in their tracks. It points, I think, to their heartache. I think it points to, 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 to the sadness that they are feeling. They literally come to a halt. And they're like, you don't know? You don't know what's happened? 
and you see the, the brokenheartedness and you see, you see the questions. And, and in verse eight and following, which I'm not going to read again for you, but they lay out the whole story. They, they, they give their, they just pour their hearts out. And note, what I want you to notice here is that Jesus doesn't interrupt them. He doesn't rebuke them for their lack of faith quite yet. He's going to in a few moments. But I think that this passage gives us a picture of Jesus listening patiently. He might even put a hand on their shoulder. I don't know. But certainly he allows them to wrestle with their fears. He allows them to wrestle with their brokenheartedness. He doesn't interrupt them and he doesn't doesn't get on them for their lack of faith yet. He's going to offer a correction in just a couple minutes, but for the time being, he simply lets them talk. And I think that speaks to the compassion of Jesus. He's he's letting them get it all out before he he enters in, and he's simply there listening and letting them talk. Uh, Cindy had this experience this week. She came home Thursday and told me a story. She said, I was standing in the hallway. She, she's a counselor at Kirkwood High School. She's standing in the hallway, and I see one of my girls coming down the hall towards me. She's, she's you know, a long way away, but I can hear her, and she's sobbing, and she's crying, and she's, her body is shaking, and the closer she gets me, and I start walking toward her, I can tell she's just crying uncontrollably. And she gets to a few feet from me. She looks up, and she sees me, and she just falls into my arms and throws her, her arms around my neck and just is sobbing. And she said, I just, I just let her cry for a couple of minutes. I just let her get it out. And finally, I said, honey, what's wrong? What's the matter? And she said, I've, I've worked so hard, and I've saved up all my money. And I bought this beautiful prom dress and I just found out that my friend bought the exact same one. What am I going to (laughs) do? Now, all the women in the room know that pain, okay? I've never gone to a wedding in my dark suit and gone, oh my gosh, there's 600 guys here with a dark suit. What am I going to get? It's a gal thing, okay? But Cindy just loved her and hugged her and talk to her and encourage her, but she just, just kind of let her cry it out. Something that, that we think is kind of simple, maybe even a little bit childish, but there's something about a compassionate heart. There's something about a heart that just, just lets you get it out. I'm not, I'm not very good at this. In fact, I get confused pretty often between when I'm supposed to be listening and when I'm supposed to be fixing, because guys go to fixing pretty quick. You know, our kids will come home and, hey, what happened today? Oh, I had a terrible day, and I didn't do well on this test, and I got, you know, sideways with my coach at practice. And, and I'll be, okay, now here's what you need to do. You need to, you know, get your homework out and get ahead of that. Let's study a little more. You need to go back to the coach, you know, and I'm fixing it, and they're just looking at me, this glaze over look, and Cindy says, Tom, just listen. <laughs> Be quiet and listen. They're sharing their heart. Be compassionate. Don't be a fixer. You know, and I get it backwards. And Cindy will come home and say, my gosh, my, my car needs an oil change. I'm 3,000 miles over, overdue. And I'm like, I really hear your pain in the, in the oil. I said, she's like, fix the oil. Take the car and get the oil change, would you please? I struggle. Maybe like you guys. Maybe we struggle a little bit. We need some, some, some practice of this. I got to the point about five or six years into our marriage, I said, Cindy, would it be okay if when you start one of these stories or one of the kids start, that I just can raise my hand and say, am I fixing or am I listening? Is that okay? Because I can do either one. I just, I just need a little coaching. But Jesus knew how to listen. He knew how to be compassionate. And, and he's going to be their teacher in just a moment. And I think it's a, there's a very important truth here. If, if you want to be somebody who can influence other people's lives for the gospel, if you want to be a person who can teach other people, if you want to be somebody who helps work with these kids and point them to Jesus, you better be able to listen. You better be able to hear the pain and hear the joys, hear the struggles, and hear the triumphs. You need to be able to be relational with people in order that they can trust you. You know, Young Life says you earn the right to be heard, and that's so, that's so perfect. And in a sense, Jesus is standing here even as the son of God, 
earning the right to be heard, earning the right to be heard simply by his compassion and his gentleness. Jesus went looking for these two guys. My question is, are our eyes open to those who are struggling around us? Will we purposely put ourselves in their path? Jesus could have appeared to anybody on resurrection day. I mean, he's the risen savior. He could go anywhere and do anything. And he finds these two guys because he knows they're struggling. Is that, is that the kind of heart I have? Am I, am I going out of my way? Am I looking? Am I just trying to put myself on the path where somebody might come along and need a compassion and a grace and a mercy that I can offer through Christ? I heard a great story this week, and then I'll move on from this point. One of the moms of, of some children in our church, the fact that her children are on these uh, name tags this morning. So we're driving home uh, from a playgroup, and uh, the daughter was in trouble. She had been misbehaving. And so her mom said to her, when you get home, you're going to have a timeout. You're going to go in your room. And her older brothers, they pulled into the garage, said, hey, mom, can I have, uh, can I do the timeout for her? Could I go do the timeout? Now, this little boy is probably five years old, six years old, maybe at the very most. Okay. I baptized him when he was a baby. I, I remember baptizing him. He's a little, little guy. He says, mom, can I, can I serve the timeout? And the mom says, you know, sweetie, that's nice, but, but you know, your sister, you know, she's the one that kind of did the, did the crime, so now she's got to do the time. She was explaining, you know, that you have to, you know, you have to pay the consequences for your, your actions, which is a good thing that parents teach their children. But he looked at her, and his eyes got real teary. He said, but Jesus died for us. Can I do her time out for her? The compassion and the heart of Jesus in a six-year-old child, profound thing. And I think this text points us to the compassion of Jesus. But beyond that, Jesus is not only compassionate, but he is the teacher. In just a minute, we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. But but I want you to see that Jesus doesn't stop with compassion. Uh, He wants his followers. He has determined that his followers will know the truth. I want you to notice how the story ends. Uh, In verse 24, uh, their story ends uh, by this. Uh, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just... Uh, as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Notice where they end. They end with despair. And Jesus doesn't want them to end there. He wants them to see the truth. He wants the story to end where in its proper place, which is with his victory over death and the author of salvation. And these disciples need faith, but they need faith that's built on truth. They need, they need not a faith that is shallow and shaky, that's built on hope, but no purpose and no understanding. They need the truth. And so Jesus says to them, foolish ones, verse 25, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This, uh, this statement, foolish ones, it's, I think it's probably a combination of kindness and confrontation. I don't think Jesus said, you guys are such idiots. I don't think Jesus spoke that way to them. I think when he said foolish ones, it was from a heart of compassion, but it was also from a heart that wasn't going to allow them to stay uh, in their spiritual blindness. He was going to confront their misunderstanding. And so he calls them slow of heart to believe. And, and that's simply a way of saying, guys, you, you should have known something all along. Okay. It, uh, it's okay. I understand the struggle, but you've missed something. And let me clear this up for you. Let me help. And notice where Jesus starts this tutorial. <laughs> he doesn't say you should have 
recognized my actions. You should have recognized my miracles. You should have recognized me by the authority with which I taught. You should have known that I was a Messiah. And therefore, based on all of your experience, you should have known by watching me that I was the Messiah. Jesus doesn't say any of this. He says, you should have known that because of the prophets. You should have known by the evidence that is in God's word. Luke isn't specific about the exact text to which Jesus pointed, but he says that he opened up to them, beginning with Moses and going through all the prophets, everything that was written about him. Perhaps he began way back in Genesis and said, look at what Moses wrote about the fall of man and how God promised at that very moment that although the serpent was going to strike the heel of the, the seed of the woman, that the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. Don't you see that that was a prophecy of something that was coming? But look, the heel had to be struck. Something negative had to happen to that champion, that one who was going to come to save. Maybe he started there. Maybe he worked his way through, Ab- through Abraham's experience and the promise that was given to Abraham that through his descendants, all of the world would be blessed. Maybe he took them to the law of Moses and explained to them once again the sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. Most certainly, I'm sure he mentioned Isaiah and Jeremiah and their words about the suffering servant who was going to come. Perhaps he took them to Psalm 22 and showed them the very words that he had cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, were penned over almost a thousand years before his ever coming to earth. Maybe he went to some of the more obscure passages in Habakkuk or Malachi, but Jesus put on a, put on a show. What a tutorial. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and heard that lesson? Just amazing how Jesus takes the truth of the Old Testament and he doesn't confront his disciples for not believing based on the physical evidence in front of them. He confronts his disciples for their lack of understanding God's word. He's gracious to these two struggling followers, but he offers a gentle but direct rebuke. I think that Jesus understood their lack of knowledge, but he certainly doesn't affirm their spiritual blindness any more than he would affirm it in you and me this morning. Too many of us are woefully ignorant of Scripture. We have become in our generation, I believe, casual observers instead of ardent students of God's Word. And I'm not talking about the younger generation. I'm not talking about the the, the names that are on these walls. I'm talking about you and me. In our generation, I'm 50 years old. Folks in my generation, a little bit older, a little bit younger, I believe we have neglected to really truly study and understand God's word. I want to offer you just a, this is a very simple challenge. It's not even that much of a challenge, but I want to challenge you to go home maybe this afternoon or, or tomorrow morning before you go to work and read Psalm 119. The Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, so it'll, it'll take you a few minutes to read it. And it's based on the Hebrew alphabet. You're going to see little words above, little symbols above the paragraphs. And each of those symbols represent one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and it works through each one. That entire passage of scripture is about the word of God and how important it is to know it and understand it. Just two two verses that I'll share with you. One of them says, your word, I have stored it up in my heart so that I won't sin against you. I've learned your word so that I won't make mistakes, but that I'll be able to follow you. Another Another verse in Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
know, you don't think about it that much because we live in a, in a day and age of, of electricity. Uh, but remember the ice storm we had a couple winters ago where the electricity went? I went and walked through downtown Kirkwood about 6 o'clock that evening when that ice storm hit. Boy, it was spooky. <laughs> it, was, it was weird to have no lights in a place where there's normally, normally lit. You need a, a lamp for your feet. You need a light for your spiritual path. And God's word promises to be that. And we ignore being students of God's word at our own peril, at our own risk. I believe there's a risk individually, and I believe there's a risk to our spiritual family. You know, as an individual, we need to seek scriptural guidance. Scripture talks about all kinds of different things. Temptation. Scripture will give you an understanding of how you should approach dating if you're a young person, what you should look for in somebody you want to marry. It talks about marriage in a variety of different ways. You want to know how to handle your money in a godly way? Go to Scripture. You want to understand the proper context for sexual experience? Go to Scripture. It's written down there. You want to know how to do your business in an honest way? Go to Scripture. It's all there for us to understand how to be disciples of Jesus. Dr. Long was the first pastor under which I served at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, and Dr. Long uh, was in his early 60s when I was there and worked just for a couple years before I retired. But he said this, I like to keep it pretty simple. Read it, learn it, follow it. (laughs) Now, I know that there's more to it than that, but that's a great starting place. For the first 20 years of your relationship with Jesus, just do that. (laughs) And then maybe you can move on from there. Read it, learn it, and follow it. If we don't do that, we end up kind of second-guessing how we're supposed to live as disciples of Jesus. We begin to base our behavior on our experience instead of on God's word, and that opens us up for all kinds of problems. But also as a spiritual family, I believe that the neglect of God's word, of truly understanding how we should interact with one another as a spiritual community can also be detrimental to us. I'm amazed sometimes at at how we, and I say we, I mean me in this sentence as well as you, I'm amazed at how we treat each other sometimes. You know, scripture says something as simple as this, consider others as better than yourself. That's pretty simple. Consider others as better than yourself. Don't look at your own interests, but look also for the interests of others. That's not difficult to understand. I I could teach that to a first grader this morning without any trouble. Consider others' interests more important than your own. Look out for each other. Care for one another. Scripture says, don't you know that you're the body of Christ? You've been given spiritual gifts just as God wants you to have them so that you can build up the body. That's pretty simple and straight to the point. Do we know these passages? Are we applying them to our lives? If we don't, I believe what will happen is we'll, we'll have the gospel in one hand and we'll have the experience of the world in the other hand and those two will always be clashing in our lives. And we end up with things like gossip, backbiting. We end up treating one another poorly. I want you to know just by the way um, that people who know you who don't go to Green Tree report back to me about their experiences with you. I just want you to know that. I don't go looking for it, Okay. You know, I'm out there saying, hey, how's George doing? You know, I know you're a buddy of his and you work at his office. I don't do that. People, oh, you're a pastor at Green Tree? Oh, I know so-and-so. And then it comes out. And friends, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's marvelous. And sometimes you're the reason why they're not coming to church. Sometimes I'm the reason why they're not coming to church. I'm not pointing the finger at you guys. I'm pointing the finger at me too. But it's because when those moments happen, it's because there's been a disconnection between the gospel my salvation, and my obedience to Jesus by understanding his word and putting it to practice in my life. 
doesn't even necessarily have to be people outside of our spiritual community. It could be right within our own relationships, right within our own marriages, right within our own uh, relationships between parents and children, friends. We ignore God's word to our own spiritual detriment. And I believe that Jesus offered this gentle rebuke, but, but, but direct rebuke to his disciples. And I believe he's offering it to his disciples this morning. For those of us who are willing uh, to hear it and to take it to heart and to apply it to our lives. You know, our young friend that I, that I mentioned earlier, his compassion for his sister, you know where that came from? That came from somebody teaching him about Jesus. <laughs> that came from him getting in the word of God, even at his little age, young age, at the Thursday morning women's Bible study, his mom's upstairs learning the word of God. He's downstairs in the basement of the children's ministry, and he comes away saying, hey, can I serve the time out because Jesus died on the cross for me? <laughs> That's how simple and yet how profound it is. If you go to the Kirkwood Ice Rink and you look on the east wall, you'll see a row of banners of championship teams. And on those banners, there are, uh, there are the names of the players and then the names of the coaching staff. And, and if you look at, I, I don't know, there's probably half a dozen banners or so. If you look at the coaches' names on all those banners, you'll eventually come to one that says Tom Ricks. Now, the reason that one of those banners hangs there that has my name on it is not because I'm a phenomenal coach, but because I had a phenomenal team when you're about, about five years ago incredibly gifted team. Most of these kids went on to have great high school careers. Uh, one or two of them are still playing post high school. But th this was the biggest group of knuckleheads I've ever seen in my life. I, I didn't know what to do with them. I, I was just frustrated beyond front because I'm seeing all this raw talent, but they, they, they don't get along with one another. They're, they're not treating one another well. They're you know, taking really foolish penalties, and they're, it's, just, it's just misery. And I'm about a month into the season going, man, I know what it could be, but I don't know how to get us there. Well, there was a guy that, that was working with Kirkwood Hockey at the time, and his name was Jamie Compound. And Jamie, I'm going to send you a copy of this because I know you won't believe you've ever been mentioned in a sermon, but now you have been. Jamie's now uh, an assistant coach for the Los Angeles Kings, okay? So this is a guy that knows hockey. And, and, I, and Jamie was helping out, advising. This was when the NHL strike was going on. I said, hey, Jamie, I need some time. I got to ask you some questions. And I sat down with him. I said, okay, I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this. What do I do? And I said, oh, glad you asked. He grabbed his, grabbed his notepad and started writing stuff down. And for about 20 minutes, we talked. And it wasn't just here's some drills to do, but it's here's how to relate to these kids. Here's what you do when they do something foolish. Here's a way I've that experience to get through to kids. And he just gives me this incredible outline that turned our season around completely simply because I was willing to go to the source of knowledge, <laughs> because I was willing to submit myself to somebody who knew more than me, who had more experience than me that could help me. And friends, in a sense, that's what Jesus is asking us to do today. He's saying, are you willing to trust me? You understand that all of the Old Testament and now all the New Testament was written so that you would have a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. If you really want to have the compassionate heart of Jesus, it seems to me it has to start with knowing the truth of Scripture. Jesus was compassionate with these two lost, confused, hurting disciples. He let them kind of cry it out. <laughs> and, and I'm betting he put an arm on their shoulder and said, you know what, it's okay. But then he taught them. And he helped them understand. And I believe he did that not only for them, but I believe he did that for us. Do you understand that Jesus wants to put his arms around you this morning? He goes, I know you got questions. I know you have frustrations. I know you haven't figured it all out. I was walking in this morning, a friend of mine said, hey, did you know so-and-so may have, may have cancer? <laughs> you know, there's lots of deep, dark questions in this world. And I believe Jesus is right there to say, I love you. I know it hurts sometimes, and I'm here. But he's also there saying, disciple, child, 
friend, submit yourself to my word. Learn it. Live it. Believe it. Your life will be a witness for me. You'll find many of the answers that you, that you didn't think existed, and the kingdom of God will grow. Let's pray together.